A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I grew up in a small rural town nestled amidst the sprawling hills and dense forests of the Appalachian region. It was a place rich in history, with whispers of the past carried on the wind. The town had a quiet charm, its streets lined with quaint houses and storefronts, but beneath the surface there was an air of mystery and an unspoken warning that echoed through the generations. You see, our town was built upon land that once belonged to a Native American tribe, a land steeped in ancient traditions and legends. It was said that the spirits of the land still roamed freely, guarding their sacred grounds from unwelcome intruders. Over the years, tales emerged of white people who had ventured too far into the wilderness, never to return. It became a cautionary tale, a reminder that this land belonged to the natives, and it was dangerous for outsiders to roam free. One fateful summer, our town fell prey to a darkness that descended upon us like a shroud. A series of brutal killings began to plague our community, leaving us paralyzed with fear and disbelief. 
The victims' bodies were found mangled and torn apart, their lives stolen by an unknown force of unimaginable strength. Whispers of bears and wild animals circulated, but deep down, we knew there was something more sinister at play. As the terror tightened its grip, an investigative journalist named Jake arrived in our town, drawn by the disturbing reports. His determination to uncover the truth led him to team up with Ayana, a resilient Native American tracker who possessed an intimate knowledge of the land and its secrets. Together they embarked on a treacherous journey to unravel the enigma that gripped our town. With each investigation they discovered a chilling connection among the victims. They had all encountered a creature, a werewolf-like being that prowled a specific place deep within the wilderness. Determined to confront this elusive creature and bring an end to the nightmare, Jake and Ayana ventured into the heart of the untamed wilderness. As they neared the creature's lair, a confrontation ensued, enveloping them in a violent clash between man and beast. In the chaos, Ayana, the fearless tracker, fell victim to the creature's ferocity, her life extinguished before their mission reached its culmination. Yet Jake, fueled by grief and adrenaline, managed to land a critical blow on the creature, inflicting a wound that forced it to retreat into the shadows. Defeated but not eradicated, the creature known as the Shadow Howler vanished, leaving our town forever changed. Its haunting presence lingered in our collective memory, a reminder of the ancient power that still resided in the land. We mourned the loss of Ayana, a warrior who had given her life to protect her people, and we carried the weight of the encounter with the Shadow Howler as a solemn warning, a reminder that sometimes the darkness that dwells within the depths of the wilderness can rise up to claim even the bravest among us. I live in Pennsylvania and was doing an amateur paranormal investigation in a small wooded area. There is a large, recently built church in the area. I call the area the Broken Bridge due to having a few bridges around from horse and buggy days. The area is notorious for having high amounts of paranormal activity. Okay, main story. About five years ago, early summer, I was visiting the area with my girlfriend around sunset. We were laying in the grass next to the creek that separates the broken bridge area. Shortly we heard this giant snap, as this tree limb from pretty high up fell to the ground maybe fifty feet away from us. This figure stood up from the spot it fell and started running extremely fast and far away. The figure, the best way to describe it, was a shadowy humanoid. It was about five or six feet tall and had long skinny limbs. But where a head would normally be, there was none. Basically picture a Slenderman-type character, just formed of shadows and headless. That's what I saw years ago. From that day on, I have come to that area at night, multiple times, without seeing it again. About three nights ago, two friends and I were doing an amateur paranormal investigation in the same area. Aside from seeing normal shadow people with heads and normal limbs waltzing around the area, some unexplained voices and such, nothing has stuck out and spooked me like what happened. We were standing between a field opening and a few isolated trees. These trees aren't very, very large, small enough to be climbed, but not. A lot of footing available as we've tried climbing them before, 
My buddy Matt chinned his flashlight at one of the trees while myself and another friend were looking away. A loud scratching slash clanking noise was heard for a second, and Matt quickly became terrified, screaming. Something just climbed that tree. Something humanoid climbed that trees. Side note, the tree was maybe 60 feet or so tall, and the thing was climbing from the very bottom. Spooked, we backed away and left the area. Later that night, Matt was obviously spooked, which isn't an easy thing knowing him. Before I let his describe what he saw, I drew out the creature I had seen years ago, and his face becomes pale as he tells me that is exactly what he saw climb the tree. I have no idea what the hell this thing is, nor do I know any similar animals in the area. In central Pennsylvania, we'll get the occasional bear, deer, hell, even some runaway cows. This humanoid wasn't a bear. Neither of us believe it was. Can anyone offer insight? I guess it was the summer of 2010, maybe 2011. A friend and I went to GameStop. It was during the times when video games were important in our lives, and we went there for a midnight release. So I guess we picked up the game somewhere around 12 o'clock, a little after. GameStop's about 20 minutes from my house in Atala, Alabama. My family owns 180 acres. It's on a road called Ponderosa Road. So we leave from GameStop and we're headed home. We got a night planned of just playing the game, so we're pumped up. So you go through a hollow across the bridge windy road, but you're heading upwards to get to our house. We're all on top of that mountain, as we call it. So there's a bit in the road, a single lane road. I'd say it's probably 10 feet wide. Well, as we're coming up the hill, I don't have my brights on. I mean, I could drive that road in the dark. I've done it before when my headlights went out, but I didn't have my brights on. I'm just making my way to the house, and we go down a dip in the road, and as we go up the next hill, I notice something in the middle of the road. I just see something white, almost as wide as you would expect a human. About as wide as a human is. The only way I know to explain it, so I hit my brakes and my light illuminates it. It was a human form, but it happened so quickly that I don't know any other way to explain it. It was way taller than a human should be. My uncle played professional baseball, and he's almost seven feet tall. So is my dad. They're big, wide guys, and this thing would have made them, you know, look small. I couldn't even see shoulders. It was just like the bottom part of something white and human-like. But the crazy thing was, when we saw it as soon as I hit the brakes, it all happened so quickly. I can't tell if it had wings and threw its wings out that were larger than ten feet. How wide the road is, larger than the road is, it literally stretched its body out. I know that sounds crazy, but almost like it was putty. That's what it was more like than wing. It just, like, got extremely wide and then skinny again and shot straight up into the air. I looked at my friend and asked him, Hey man, did you see that? I knew he saw it. I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. And he said, Yeah, I saw it. We just didn't know what to do. I mean, it was close to my driveway, so we could just pull into the house. I was like, man, what was that? He said, You know, I don't have a clue. It was just really odd. We got into the house, made sure we locked the doors and pulled the curtains on the windows. 
I still don't know to this day what it could have been. I think about it from time to time, especially out working late on the railroad. It was a clear night. I mean, no fog, warm summer night. I don't understand, and you know I've brought it up to the guy that was with me since then, and he still says I don't really know and I don't like to talk about it. I didn't really feel scared. It just happened so fast I didn't know what it was. I still don't know what it was. I just don't know if I'll ever know. Last summer, my boyfriend and I were camping in the uh, Iwachita forest off the Winona Scenic Route. We drove through a gorgeous spillway to a creek site where we had set up our camp and were laying in the hammock for the night. Next thing I know, our dog is growling this deep growl I'd never heard her make, so it caught my attention. I look in the direction she's growling in, and I see this weird humanoid figure just casually walking in the woods about ten, twenty feet away from us. It's a light gray, maybe white color, seven-ish feet tall, very skinny, and has an abnormally large head. Our dog barks and catches its attention. It stops for a good twenty seconds, looks at us, then carries on its way. Needless to say, we immediately packed everything up and left. We hadn't taken anything recreational that night, though I sort of wish we had now. I don't know what I saw, but it scared the ass out of me, and I'm so curious if we were the only ones to see have ever seen anything like that out there. This was years ago in South Milwaukee. It was a winter day walking my dog. Overcast. I saw a dark creature sprint across the street, but it was. Not opaque. Like the edges were smoky. It seemed like it had legs, and I saw it sprint across the street and down an alley. It was maybe the size of a medium dog. Definitely seemed like it had four legs, maybe more. I did a double take, but couldn't find any trace of it. It was like it blipped into our dimension just for a few seconds. This sighting took place while I was on a fishing trip with my girlfriend, another couple, and their mom. My friends were staying at the resort cabins at one of my favorite fall fishing lakes. By the time we arrived, uh, delayed by wiring problems on my boat trailer, it was about 3 a.m. We talked until there was little reason to go to bed, just to have to get right back up to catch the morning bite. About an hour and half, uh, half before sunrise, my friend Wes and I decided to go for a little walk down to one of the streams that feed out of the lake. I was curious to see what the fish were doing. We both had flashlights shining them into the stream as we walked along trying to spot fish. The further we went, the more uneasy I became, and I have been in these woods all of my life and never felt like this ever. I asked Wes if he felt kind of weird. He said kind of. We decided we'd head back. We moved to a different cabin closer to the lake. After the evening fish, I returned at late light, bummed about missing a very large brown trout. I spent most of the evening listening to fish jump and looking at stars. Wes's mom went to bed first, and about 11.45 p.m., the rest of us went to bed. My girlfriend and I were not sleeping in the cabin with Wes and his family. 
We were sleeping in the back of a full-size Chevy Suburban, mainly because Angela and I wanted a little privacy. Angela and didn't go right to sleep. This was about an hour and a half after everyone said goodnight at the campfire. I sat up to smoke a cigarette and I was looking out the rear side window when something caught my eye. The cabins where we were staying are not very large. There was outdoor lighting attached to the middle of the roof line of the cabin. At first I thought it was the wind moving the tree branches or bushes, but something wasn't right. I then began to realize was I was seeing. I thought maybe I was a little more tired than I thought, and that my eyes were playing tricks on me. Except the trick didn't go away. Just to make sure, I asked Angela to sit up and look around and tell me what she sees. I totally expected to look stupid and have her tell me she saw nothing. I did not tell her what I was seeing or where I was seeing it. I looked down at the floor. Angela sat up and it wasn't even two seconds before she visually locked onto the same thing I did. Still looking at the floor, I asked, What do you see? Her first word was, Yeti, and with that things now felt real. We both became excited, scared, and curious. I was a bit more uneasy with how the Bigfoot was moving and acting. It was about 50 feet away back in the tree line on the other side of the cabin, about 15 feet away from West Mom's truck. It was standing just out of the light so as not be directly seen. It was about seven, one and a half to eight feet tall, covered in hair, very broad in the shoulder and across the chest. It wasn't as bulky as what is in the Patterson film. What made me very uneasy was its movements and actions. It wasn't coming forward. It had one arm up above its head and to the side, resting on a tree. It was rapidly rocking from side to side and bobbing up and down. Angela made a statement about getting out to maybe get closer to it. I was in the process of telling her no. When the next surprise was realized, Angela points out that there's more than one. About two feet behind the tailgate of my friend's mom's truck was crouched not one, but two of what appeared to be smaller Bigfoots. They were crouched close together, sitting motionless and looking directly at us. They looked like they were younger ones compared to the big ones still rocking back and forth by the tree. They were not as broad in the shoulders or chest. Angela and I wondered what to do, quietly talking to each other for five or ten minutes. I decided to wake up Wes by yelling toward the window of his bedroom, which was in the middle of the back wall of the cabin. Wes answered back and I told him to look out his window. At first, he couldn't see anything through the window. I didn't tell him what to look for or what I was seeing for fear of him thinking we were pulling a joke or that we were totally out of our minds. As he opened the window, I asked him, Do you see it? His response was, Oh my God! Wes didn't say another word, which made me even more uneasy. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I jumped up to the front seat and was gonna start up the rig to back them off a little. When I got up front, I couldn't find the keys. I became a bit panicky. I found the keys and started up the Chevy with a big room, and it hardly seemed to bother them. I then decided if I was going to see Bigfoot, then by God, I'm gonna try to get a good look. I was parked in such a way that I had to pull way out and swing the front end around for my lights to hit them directly. As soon as the Chevy moved, they took off back into the trees and bushes. I then headed down the road toward a picnic area where they might cross a road. 
On the way, Angela said she had enough and didn't want to be around the Bigfoot anymore. I turned around, ended up taking a wrong turn finding, and myself driving cross-country through the cabins in the resort. I was turned around so badly I didn't know where I was. Angela spotted the cabin where we stayed the first night. I then began to drive out to the highway to leave because Angela didn't want to return until daylight. Just before I got to the highway, I remembered my friends at the cabin and the fact that they had their newborn baby with them. Angela agreed we couldn't leave them there, so we returned. Wes said that as we were driving off, something ran across the road behind us on two legs. Angela and I decided to leave the Chevy parked halfway blocking the road and go inside the cabin. After we got inside, I asked Wes if he'd seen what we saw, because I still could not take in the fact that this really happened. Wes told me he definitely saw what he believes to be a Bigfoot, he explained that he became salient because of the two smaller ones at the back of his mom's truck. After twenty minutes had gone by, I needed a smoke real bad, and Wes' mom wanted something to drink. Both were in my rig. Wes was the first to step outside. On the way back to the cabin, we heard a bunch of commotion down toward the lake, like something running through bushes, snapping and breaking limbs. We ran to the front door of the cabin. Just as we started up the steps, I fell onto the porch, scaring Wes to death. Once inside, we talked and tried to rationalize everything that had happened. Things were quiet outside from then on, other than the fact that a raccoon thumped on our door, which startled us. What was strange was that the raccoon seemed to want to come into the cabin. The raccoon did not touch any of the food outside the cabin. I love camping. I try to go every summer. My family has a little cabin on Moxie Pond, right on the water. It's a couple hundred miles headed northwest and then about ten miles down the old logging roads to get to our spot. I love it. It's trees and water and no neighbors to be seen. It's quiet unless the dickhead across the pond is running his generator all damn day. There's no power. It's gas lights and stove. No plumbing, no running water other than what you pump from the lake using the old-fashioned hand pump over the sink. You do your business in the outhouse and throw... Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Some cedar shavings on it is a courtesy to the next person. My girlfriend have been together for about two years. She's more from the city, but she was excited to come with when I said I wanted to go up to camp this year. We couldn't go last year, so we packed our clothes and food and whatnot into my truck and started up. It's about a four-hour drive of about an hour and a half on the highway until you get to Shohagen, Skalvass it's occasionally called, and then it's another couple hours driving through tiny towns that are trapped in yesteryear and falling apart. The further you get from the paper mill, the worse it looks, but the better it smells. Driving by the paper mill smells like a wet skunk fart. You'll eventually get up into the mountains. The views are amazing. Sometimes some asshole will give you plenty of time to admire them as you're trapped behind their bumper as they creep along. You eventually get to the forks. The forks contains Barry's General Store, Whitewater Rafting Companies, and not much else. We got up there closer to the end of twilight, so there was nothing going on. No people out. You take right, drive to the dam at the end of the lake, take a left, and you're on the logging roads. You have to go kinda slow on the logging roads. I almost kissed a young moose one year when it jumped out right beside my truck, its nose almost coming through my open window. You're surrounded by nothing but trees. The forest is so thick you can't really see past the first trees. Especially at night, I've had some weird things happen up here over the years. I've heard a blood-curdling scream in the middle of the night that sounded like a girl getting murdered. The next day, I found a half-eaten rabbit floating in the lake. That put my mind at ease. A rabbit can scream, and it'll sound just like a little girl. I've heard singing in the woods, away from the direction of any other camp. It was a beautiful, mournful song, and I didn't understand the language. That's a different story, though. I digressed. We're driving down the logging roads, and I'm quietly laughing to myself as my girlfriend clutches my arm tightly, her eyes wide. She occasionally punches my leg when I don't stifle myself well enough. I don't blame her for being scared. She's never been in woods like this before. But I warned her, and it was her fault we got such a late start anyway. So we have to drive in at night. Once you get closer to the lake, the trails get smaller and more overgrown. Birch trees, bent over from years of snow and wind, scrape their branches over the top of the truck, occasionally blocking my vision. There's always maintenance to be done. I'm used to my eyes playing tricks on me. So I didn't think anything of seeing the shadows moving around us. I just wrote it off as being a trick of the light as the front of my truck bounced on the wretched road. My girlfriend would occasionally gasp and whimper and say, what the F is that? Finally, I just had her put her head in my lap, and I played with her hair as I drove, constantly telling myself that the figures and shapes I see are just trees and shadow. This isn't my first time doing this. I get a little turned around in the dark, but we get to camp, okay? I let her put her head back up, and I take her in my arms and comfort her before we get out. 
telling her that nothing weird has ever happened up here. It's a lie, but I only have to get her out of the truck and into the camp. I grab my flashlight and get out and walk over to her door. I open it for her, grab her bag, and walk her into the camp. I get the gas going and turn the lights on, sit her down in the comfy chair, hand her her book, and go to get the rest of the stuff out of the truck. We're moved in, and I make us dinner while she reads. Safe inside, she's calmer now, but she did have me close the blinds to the double slider at the front of the camp. I was going to, anyway. During the day, it's a wonderful view of the lake. But at night, the fear is always at the back of my mind that I'm going to look out them and see something standing on the porch, looking in. We eat, we enjoy the privacy and each other, and we go to bed. We stay in the camp for a couple days. There's nothing that needs doing. We read, we swim. We F, we take the kayaks out and visit the islands. I tried to get her to just be naked while we're alone up here, but no luck. I brought a tent because I'd like to spend a night right out in the woods, but it's hard to convince her at first. But after a couple nights spent drinking by the fire without anything weird happening, she's more inclined to try it, as long as I bring my shotgun, which I was going to do anyway. I've never had an encounter with a bear or wolves up here, and we didn't hear any howling, but I'm not staying in the woods unarmed. It's the third or fourth night when we go out. We don't go far because I know better than to just wander off into the woods. We stay in sight of the big tree beside camp. We can't see the camp. We can't hear the water. But we find a nice flat spot in a small clearing, and I put the tent up. You can probably imagine how we then spent the rest of the day. We'd had hot dogs and s'mores over the fire that night, and then I put the fire out and we staggered to bed. She fell asleep quickly. I didn't sleep so well. I feel like I was in and out all night, more caught in the in-between world than actually asleep. I felt her get up and saw the muted light from her hand covering the flashlight, but I couldn't react or say anything. I'm not sure I didn't dream it. She went out, and after a minute, she came back in with the light off. She laid down and was out again. I still couldn't move, so again, I'm not sure I didn't dream her going out. My dreams are generally this not exciting, but I know I woke up when I heard her voice from outside the tent, her face on the other side of the fabric, a desperate and terrified whisper. You need to get out of there, that's not me. Get out, we need to get back inside the camp. My blood ran cold and my eyes opened. At least I think they were open. I couldn't see a thing. I sat up and went to reach for my shotgun, just in case, but I felt her hands wrap around me and gently pulled me back down. She whispered, where are you going? And I just froze. I let her pull me back down as my mind raced. My thoughts were like a broken mirror tumbling around in a dryer, smashing into each other and splintering even more. I said nothing. I just laid down and listened. My girlfriend still had her hands lightly across my chest, and she seemed to have fallen asleep again. I laid there in the dark, straining to hear anything other than her breathing. There was nothing. I had to chalk it up to dreaming. But I also had to look before I could go to sleep. I started to get up again, but again she pulled me down and got on top of me, aggressively kissing me. She didn't go to bed naked. She always wears pajamas. She wore some light blue pajama pants and one of my shirts to bed. 
But they're gone now, though. I wear nothing to bed, so it was easy for her to get what she was after. It's exceedingly rare for her to initiate. That's almost always been my job. She's always an eager participant, but I think this was maybe the third time in two years that she initiated herself, and she put herself on top, and she was aggressive. I'm not complaining about not having to do the work or the enthusiasm, but all three together is like finding a unicorn. A unicorn, as she did her thing. I eventually put what happened out of my mind and finally got my head in the game, thanking the alcohol. After we finished, she immediately got up and went outside. I figured she just had to pee, but she didn't bring a light. She never just gets up right after. We always just lay there for a while. She left the flap open. I'm sure because she was coming right back. I noticed I couldn't hear anything at all. Not that I was trying to hear her piss. I just figured that she wouldn't be concerned about it and go too far from the tent in the dark. After a couple minutes, I heard her footsteps returning. She came through the flap and was already on her way to laying down before her feet were inside. I followed the sound and caught her in my arms. She was dressed again. I was going to ask her why she left her clothes outside, but she was asleep by the time her head hit my chest. I kissed her forehead and rolled her off of me so I could zip up the tent flap. Then I laid down, absolutely exhausted and at some point I fell asleep while listening to the absolutely nothing going on in the woods around us. I thought it strange, but I just figured it was because we were out here. The next morning I made pancakes and bacon over the fire for us. I mentioned the happenings last night, and she just looked at me quizzically. She couldn't remember any of it. She only remembered waking up to pee, taking the light, and then just going back to the tent and crashing again. She's not superstitious, so she just blamed the alcohol and was happy that she made me happy, and that was that. After breakfast, I started to break down the camp. I packed up some things for her to take back, pointed out the tree by camp, and sent her on her way. I watched her walk away for a minute because I just enjoy watching my girlfriend walking away. She disappeared into the woods, and I set about breaking the tent down and getting it packed up. It went slower than I would have liked. You have to get everything just right if it's going to fit in its respective bags again. After struggling for a bit and scratching my head, I became aware that I wasn't alone. I turned around and there was my girlfriend, just looking at me. In broad daylight, she was naked again. My eyes lit up and she giggled at my face, then crossed the distance to me without a word. She used the rolled-up tent to kneel on for about 20 minutes, then just got up and walked off in the direction of camp. I'll admit, I was starting to have a hard time keeping up with her. Not that I was complaining, but I was feeling exhausted after every time. I finally got everything put away and went back to camp. I sat down and read for a little while before finally succumbing to a nap, sitting in the comfy chair in the sunlight, facing out the sliders. I woke up to my girlfriend getting touchy after me again. When we were done, I immediately passed out. I woke up sometime in the mid-afternoon to wind and rain. I'm not sure when. We don't have a clock at camp. My girlfriend had moved to the couch, reading. She was in just her underwear. I didn't know what prompted this change in dress code and appetite. I thought it was weird, but I was also happy about it. I started picking things up as we were leaving the next morning. 
I went in the bedroom to gather any clothes. Her blue pajama pants and my shirt weren't anywhere to be seen. I asked about them, and she said they were already packed. I went outside to take a leak. The winds were getting stronger now, and occasional fat raindrops would slap against my body. I could just barely hear my girlfriend calling my name, so I shook it off and went back inside to find out what she wanted. She was still sitting on the couch, reading. I asked if she was calling for me. She just looked up and shook her head. I reminded myself that sometimes my imagination gets the better of me and just put it out of my mind. That night, she didn't let me go right to sleep, but I crashed hard after. I woke up with a mild headache early in the morning. I had to pee again. I turned on my flashlight and covered it, leaving just a sliver of light. My girlfriend sat up and looked at me, so I turned the light towards her. Her eyes looked white and cloudy. I uncovered the light and she blinked from the brightness and her eyes were back to normal. She cursed me for blasting her in the face with a light and I apologized. I told her what I was doing and to just go back to sleep. She told me to hurry back. The storm had passed. I walked outside to the tree line. I shined the light through the trees while I relieved myself, just in case. The beam fell upon a patch of upset earth, all scratched and dug up. It wasn't far into the woods, so I walked over to it. Something had obviously gotten eaten. There was blood everywhere. I couldn't really make out any cracks. It just looked like there was a lot of thrashing and kicking involved. But it was weird that there wasn't a carcass. And it was weird it had happened so close to camp. If the body had been dragged off into the woods, I wasn't going to go looking for it. The next morning, we got ready to go and headed out. We talked about the weekend, but she seemed to have a spotty memory of it. I didn't think she had that much to drink. She kept herself entertained with me for most of the ride home. She'd never done that before, even when I asked for it. I was finally starting to think with the head attached to my shoulders. Her personality was different, at least when it came to sex. But aside from that, she still acted like she always had. I wasn't sure what to think. All she would say when I'd ask why she wasn't nearly as inhibited anymore was I got over it, delivered with a shrug and a smile. It's been a few months now and her appetite is still high. I'm having a harder and harder time keeping up with her. I'm just getting tired more often. I've noticed I'm getting white hairs and I just feel older. I'd talk to my doctor about it, but I can't afford that. I try to tell her I'm tired but she always brings it out of me, and then I crash immediately after. And she always seems to have more and more energy. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I couldn't even write this in peace. Does anyone have any idea what's going on? I live in the Yukon, and by my house is a wilderness trail. Great trails leads to a bunch of lakes. I take my dog on the trails every day. Usually I have to walk him for at least two hours because he's part husky and has energy for days. Getting him to turn around any earlier than an hour is a nightmare. One day we're headed to the trails. Doesn't seem like anyone else is around. Seems quieter than usual. We're maybe ten minutes into our walk and we're on a trail that is completely surrounded by trees. My ears popped for some reason and it seems like the whole world's audio is turned off. Something also feels off. 
I look down and my dog, who normally barks his ass off at all and any wild animal is crouched down, hackles up completely silent and just looks up at me with distinctly fear-filled eyes. We turn around and he is pulling me back towards the house. He runs into my room and hides under the bed. He will not come out. He's under there for a few hours. When he did come out, he just sat staring out the window with his hackles up. He refused to go outside all night. Eventually, he got over it and relaxed, but even years later, he won't go down that one path. This happened circa 1971 or 1972, when my mother was about 14 or 15 years old. The incident occurred in a heavily wooded area near Montevallo, Alabama, close to Birmingham. My mother is the oldest of five children. She has three sisters and a brother who is the baby of the family. One weekend in the cooler months of the fall, my grandfather decided to take the whole family, my grandmother, my mother, and all my aunts and uncles, so seven people total, into the woods for target practice with a rifle. My mother grew up quite poor, and they didn't always live in the best neighborhoods, so my grandfather wanted to teach the kids how to defend themselves with a rifle if need be. Like I said, it was later in the fall, so the trees were bare, and there were lots of leaves on the ground. The wooded area was just off a dirt road, so this was a fairly rural area they were in. Since it was so far off the beaten path, my grandfather became startled when he heard the roar of a car engine so deep in the woods. My mom remembers the car as being a blue Ford Galaxy. Despite the fact that my grandfather had a gun, he totally freaked out and told my grandma and the kids to hide under a pile of leaves in the woods. He hid with them. The man in the driver's seat got out dragged a woman's body out of the car and just dumped her there in the woods and drove away. After my grandfather was sure the man had gone, everyone came out of hiding and the woman sat up and stared them straight in the face. My grandfather asked the woman if she needed help. She said no, she would be fine. She didn't seem to be injured and obviously didn't want help. She hadn't put up a fight with the man when he was dragging her out of the car. She must have known him. Mm. So my grandfather cut the shooting lesson short and decided to rush the kids home to safety. Well, on the trail back to the dirt road where my grandfather had parked their car, they passed the man in the blue Ford Galaxy driving out of the woods. My mom looked over and noticed that he had a huge machete laying across the front seats right beside him. My grandfather made sure that the man could see that he was carrying a rifle, but everyone was careful not to give away what they had just seen. The man struck up small talk with my grandfather, asked him how he was doing and what they were doing out in the woods. My grandfather explained that he had just taken his family out for some target practice with a rifle. The man told him to have a nice a day and continued driving. The next day, my grandfather went back out to that spot in the woods. There was not a body there. However, he did find the woman's wig, her purse, some Kleenex, and a pair of eyeglasses. He collected the items and took them home. According to my grandfather, that area of the woods was known for having shallow graves and being a dumping site for bodies. My mother became hysterical when he walked in the door carrying that stuff. She started screaming. He killed that lady. He killed that lady. 
My grandfather ended up taking the items to the police station, but my mom doesn't think anything ever came of it. She never heard anything else about it after that. Well, she did hear one other thing about it, I guess. Early the next morning, my grandmother called my mom when she arrived at work, just before the kids left for school. She told them not to take the bus that day, that she would come home and pick them up and drive them to school. When my mom asked why, my grandmother said, because that car is waiting for you at the bus stop. 